through the Middle East and Europe. Few aides wanted to stay behind in Washington, especially when the president is contemplating a broad staff shakeup. Rather, many of them have been trailing the president from dawn to dusk, in part to make sure the script does not change in their absence, and in part to have a hand in what they hope will be a successful trip. Chief of Staff Reince Priebus has no particular expertise in foreign affairs, and his job is to run the government, yet he appeared at many a photo opportunity in Riyadh. Together with Chief Strategist Stephen K. Bannon and National Economic Council Director Gary Cohn, he grooved to the beat of feathered drums at an evening sword dance performed in Trump's honor outside a Saudi palace. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, who may or may not be struggling to keep his starring role at the daily press briefings back in Washington, was photographed striding confidently across a tarmac sporting sunglasses and carrying a briefcase and a chestnut leather duffel. In Trump world, everybody is always looking over his or her shoulder. But bitter rivals at the White House found common cause abroad. Commingling in the tight confines of Air Force One, the presidential motorcade and diplomatic meeting rooms. Even the nationalists and globalists gave the appearances of a ceasefire. During one of Trump's meetings with Salman, Bannon took a seat next to Cohn and Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor with whom Bannon has feuded. Trump is traveling with practically a battalion of press staffers, Spicer, Hicks, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the deputy press secretary and Spicer's on-camera substitute, Michael Anton, the National Security Council spokesman, Joshua Raffel, who handles communications for Kushner in his office of American Innovation, and Stephanie Grisham, communications director for the First Lady. But rather than working out of the press filing center, where they could have answered questions and spun stories, the press aides stayed mostly inside Trump's bubble or at his hotel, inaccessible to reporters, save for two scheduled briefings, but ever-present to serve the boss. One of the central truths about survival in Trump's orbit is that power stems from proximity to the principal. Top officials in previous White Houses said it was unusual for so much of Trump's senior staff to leave the country at once. The few senior aides who stayed behind include White House counsel Don McCann, counselor to the president Kellyanne Conway, and communications director Michael Dubke. The Trump delegation is so large, it's not clear who will be in the White House dealing with the multiple and multiplying crises swirling around the presidency, said Dan Pfeiffer, who was a senior advisor to President Barack Obama and traveled on many of his overseas trips. They will tell you everyone has a phone so they can be reached, but it doesn't work that way because of the time change, he added, and presidential foreign trips are so busy that there is no time to do anything other than what is directly in front of you. Priebus and Bannon, as well as Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, peeled off in Riyadh and were scheduled to return to Washington, while others in Trump's delegation continued on to Israel, where they arrived Monday. Trump was not the only American to indulge in Saudi Arabia. So did his aides. A host of them personally met the king during an elaborate royal court ceremony featuring music from bagpipers. Among them was Dan Scavino, the golf caddy turned social media guru who helps the president man his Twitter account, which has been curiously silent. Kushner was received like a crown prince all weekend, and even his personal aide, Avi Berkowitz, got to sample the kingdom's hospitality. During a ceremonial meeting of Trump and Salman, Berkowitz and most others in the president's entourage sat intermingled with Saudi officials in plush blue armchairs, sipping coffee with cardamom. In a struggling factory town, residents won Washington to cut the drama and get to work. By Robert Samuels, in the Washington Post Politics section, I'm Sam Scholl. Sitting at a table at Jeff's Corner Cafe, Brenda Allen professed thanks for the good things before her. There were the creamy grits she ate and the jokes she shared with the other diners, most of whom she'd known all her life. 
but she was most grateful that the small, blurry television set hanging in the corner of this no-frills breakfast spot was silent. You know, I stopped watching Fox and all the other channels, too, Alan, a 70-year-old retired nurse practitioner and Democrat, told her friend Julie. She sipped a little Mountain Dew. So much negativity about the president. I think in Washington, there's just much ado about nothing. They got their own world created for them over there. Ain't that the truth, Julie responded. The controversies enveloping President Trump in the nation's capital were having the odd effect of bringing people together here. No matter which side of the great Trump divide they were on, one complaint rose above all. Washington had, again, proven to be as blurry and distant as the reception on that old TV. There was the flood of news that consumed Washington, and then there was the actual flood that almost consumed them. Entire blocks in the southern end of this city are still uninhabited seven months after being ravaged by Hurricane Matthew. And just on Wednesday, while politicos gawked at the announcement of a special prosecutor for an investigation many residents here don't fully understand,